If you have your Bibles, turn to the book of Ephesians, the book of Ephesians. And we're going to be in chapter 1, looking at verse 1. We're also going to be in chapter 6, looking at verse 24. Um, And if you know the book, that's basically the first verse and the very last verse of the book. But last week we kicked off this message series on Ephesians called Live Light. And we're basically going to walk through the themes and the sections within this book, looking at items like our identity in Christ. Who are we? in Jesus, and the implications of that new identity, and how or what that means for us now to live that out on a practical level in what is clearly a very dark world. And so to introduce this series, we looked at what could be called a theme verse for this entire letter, as Paul sums up so much in only a few words. And this is the verse we looked at last week, Ephesians 5, 8, where he writes, You were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. So live as children of light. You were once darkness, but now you are light. And so we saw that this is a statement that is true for any believer, any follower of Jesus. Why? What changed from the once to now, from then to now? Well, we looked at location which we'll look at more at, especially next week. But you were once outside the Lord, thus you were darkness. But now that you are in the Lord, you are light. And when it comes to your location in or outside Jesus, your location determines identification. When it comes to your location in or outside Jesus, your location determines your identification, which, again, we will really look at next week. But when you enter into Christ, a radical transformation happens as a result of your now being found in the Lord as opposed to outside the Lord. You go from non-child status to child status. You go from death into life. You go from darkness into light. Everything changes. Outside of the Lord, you were darkness. This is who you were. It was your identity. But now in the Lord, you are light. You have life. You're a child now. This is now who you are. It's your new identity. Thus, the implications of this identity changes how you ought to live. You're no longer to live like the world. You should not speak like the world. You should not act and react like the world. You are to now live as children of the light, thus live light, as we'll see throughout this series. But now I want us to look at really the first verses and the last verse of this book, really the the bookends of Ephesians, and I want us to really today focus in on two words that function as adjectives, but also kind of function as nouns as well, to describe those in Christ. So look at Ephesians chapter 1, verse 1 and 2, and if you want to kind of flip over now to also to 624 and just kind of hold those spots, but let's look at verse 1 and 2 first. And this is what Paul writes. He says, Paul an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God to God's holy people or to his saints, depending on what translation you're reading, to God's holy people in Ephesus, the faithful, the faithful ones who are in Christ Jesus, grace and peace to you. From God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. 
Now hold your spot there and just kind of flip over to chapter 6, verse 24. And if you can't do that, you'll see the words also here on the screen. Where he writes, grace to all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with an undying love. Well, it was 2010. University of Central Oklahoma, I got a picture here of one of their classic buildings, Um, Go Bronchos, Um, they love to spell the Broncos a little weird, but it was my senior year, 2010, and I had about a semester and a half left, and I was already set to go to Southern Seminary after graduation. Now, Southern Seminary, it's, it's the Southern Baptist Seminary in Louisville, Kentucky, And my main reason for going there was to get out of Oklahoma. I just wanted to get out of the area and go see other parts, right? And I was trying to decide which seminary to go to. And I landed on that. I went for a visit, and I enjoyed the visit, did the application and everything, got accepted. I was starting to look at scholarships, all this kind of stuff, making plans. I mean, I was set to go to Louisville, Kentucky. And I'm eight months away from moving, It's spring semester 2010, and then one night I'm at a friend's house, and he has his laptop up, and he's on Facebook, and he's showing another one of our friends something in this picture with a group of people um, all of our age, but he's showing our other friends something. I don't even remember what, because immediately when I saw the picture, something stuck out to me, or should I say someone stuck out to me, and I remember interrupting the conversation saying, who is that? And that forever changed the trajectory of my life. I mean, that moment, you take that moment away. I'm not standing here today, right? If you take that moment away, Noah, Caroline, and Hannah do not exist. At least I don't think so. God could have worked it out, I guess. But it was a moment, the moment in which I saw Stephanie for the very first time, a picture on Facebook. I guess you could say we met online, I guess, in that sense, right? But long story short, through mutual friends, we began talking and hanging out, and dating. And this went on for a few months, through the summer, into the fall. All the while, I'm still going to Kentucky. I'm going 13, 14 hours away. She's two years younger than me, so she's staying at UCO's campus. She's going to graduate, but this is the plan. We're doing all this, and we're just kind of, some things not processing. At least I wasn't processing some things. In other words, how serious is this? And is this really the real deal? That kind of thing. But there came to a moment in the fall where really this conversation had to be had. And Stephanie asked me a question that I wasn't quite ready for. And this was the question. You can see it on the screen. Do you love me? Because we hadn't said it at that point, right? Do you love me. Now, why did she ask me that question? Because as I'm sitting there making plans and we're saying, this is what I'm going to do and all that kind of stuff, we're not really thinking long term at this point. What does she wanted to know? She wanted to know is, are you serious about me? Are you always going to be loyal to me? Are you always going to be devoted to me? In other words, am I the one, right? That's in essence the question that she was asking. Do you love me? I eventually said yes. I was kind of kind of caught off guard. I was like, I don't, you know, I don't know if I want to say the love thing quite yet, but I did, and we got engaged soon after. It was a whole story. I'll tell you later. But it was a question that I firmly believe that the Lord is asking you on a very personal, 
on a very intimate and real level. Despite your status in the culture, despite your status in this community, despite knowledge and accomplishments, he is asking you this question, do you love me? Because as you read in the New Testament, and really all throughout the Old Testament, what God truly desires, what he ultimately is after, is not our sacrifices. It's not our fancy expressions. It's not our buildings. He's after us. He wants us that we would love him with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. He wants our hearts. He wants us. After Jesus resurrected from the dead, Luke tells us in Acts 1 that he spent 40 days proving to them that he had truly come back from the dead. On many occasions, various settings, different people. And on one occasion, he's eating breakfast with the disciples on the shore. I've got a picture here of that sea that he is on. It's John chapter 21, and you can go back and read it a little later. But here's Jesus on the shore eating breakfast with the disciples, and Peter is there. Now, Peter, remember at this point, he had denied Jesus three times, even though he adamantly adamantly said he would not deny Jesus or forsake him. But Peter denied him three times. And that elephant in the room, so to speak, had not been addressed. And so Jesus, after they finish eating, pulls Peter aside. And what did Jesus ask him? He didn't ask him, how many Bible verses do you know? What can you tell me about Scripture? What denomination do you belong to? What church do you attend? Of course, some of those things would have been applicable, right? No, he asked, do you love me more than these? In other words, do you love me more than anything and everyone, especially those who you are most closest to? And he proceeds to ask him two more times, do you love me? Do you love me? He asked him on a very personal, intimate, real level. But then, of course, we all know this exchange, but we also forget the two-letter command or two-word command that Jesus gives to Peter after this. He eventually says, follow me. In other words, Peter, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? So follow me. You must decide. It's all or nothing. Even tells Peter what kind of death that he's going to die as a result of following Jesus. It's all or nothing. Me over everything and everyone or not. It's what Stephanie was ultimately after that day. Do you love me? Is it me or not? You must decide. We had a, uh, a chain link fence when I was growing up in our backyard, and it wasn't a huge chain link fence. It was just a, a square kind of thing, probably about the size of this stage. And me, my siblings, and the neighborhood kids, we made a game out of this fence. And what we would do is we would climb up it, and we'd literally stand on top of this chain link fence. And there was bushes and trees that basically went all around this chain link fence. And so what we would do is climb to the top of it and hold on to those branches. And the game was... Can you make it all the way around without falling? 
And so sure enough, we as little kids, you know, probably nine, ten-year-olds just climbing on this fence, going around it and everything, just holding on to those branches. You know, our legs are shaking, that whole thing. And this is what we're doing. But it never failed. There always came to a point to where there was a branch over here and there was a branch way out over here. And so you're holding on to this one, especially the younger kids, like what I was at that time. You're holding on to this one, and you're really trying hard to reach out to this one. And it never failed, though. You hit this point where you couldn't hold on to both. And so at that point, you would fall either forward or backward. You have to decide which side of the fence is it for you. Jesus makes it very, very clear. Luke chapter 14, he says, renounce everything. And if you can't do that, you cannot be my disciple. Luke chapter 18, you have this rich young ruler come to Jesus. This guy probably had a family. He was established in the community. He was wealthy. And he comes to Jesus saying, what do I got to do to have eternal life? This is a great moment. This is like a Falls Creek moment, running down the aisle. This is the kind of moment, if you're a pastor, man, here comes a young guy coming down. He's he's a leader in the community and and everything like that. And he's asking about eternal life. He says, what do I got to do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus has this exchange with him, talking about, well, you know what you're to do and the commandments and everything. He says, yes, I've done all that and I've kept all those. He says, yeah, but you still lack one thing. There's still something you're holding on to. There's still a branch you're holding on to. Go sell everything, give it away, and then come follow me. And the guy walked away sad. The guy chose the finite over the infinite. His wealth over Jesus. And Jesus made it very, very clear. You can't have it both ways. Listen, it's not that Jesus wants to make salvation difficult for anyone. He wants all people to come to a knowledge of the truth and to be saved. But he does want to make salvation clear to everyone. If you want to enter into me, it's all or nothing. You can't stand on top of the fence. You must decide which side is it for you. That's what Stephanie was after. Hey, if we're, we're going to keep dating and we're going to kind of talk about plans, you have to decide, am, am I the one you're going to marry or not? Matthew chapter 6, Jesus says you cannot have two masters. Why? Because you're going to love one and hate the other. You're going to be devoted to one and despise the other. The church at Laodicea, it's either hot or cold. You cannot be lukewarm. You have to decide. Do you love me? Am I the one? So in our setting, let me just ask us a few questions. You'll see them here on the screen. Do you believe in Jesus? Do you believe in him? The other question is this. Do you love Jesus? Do you love him? If you say yes to both those, oh yeah, yeah, I believe in him, I love him, then let me ask you this question. Then are you devoted to Jesus? Because scripture makes it also pretty clear that to truly believe in him is to love him. And what we love, we're devoted to. If you love something or someone, it logically follows that you're devoted to that thing or person. 
So if we say we love Jesus, then are we devoted to him? If someone were to evaluate our lives, how we spend our time, how we spend our money, what we give our passion to, what we care most about, would that person walk away and say, man, they just love Jesus. And I can tell it by their devotion to Jesus. Would that be the takeaway? Now, a couple of things. Number one, I'm not asking are we devoted to a building. People go to church buildings every single week for all sorts of different reasons. It doesn't mean you love Jesus. It doesn't mean that you're devoted to Jesus. Building attendance does not equate to a love for Jesus. You can actually despise Jesus and the church and still gather with the church every time the doors open. I'm also not asking, are we devoted to serving in the church or in ministry? Whether it's about strategy or preaching or teaching. Because I've come to know also a little all too well that you can be devoted to the ministry, to serving the church, and actually not love Jesus. I'm not asking, are we devoted to a building or a ministry or to a denomination? Because we can be devoted to those things dogmatically and still not love Jesus. greatest example is the Pharisees and Sadducees. We can be all about God's business and not actually love God's. What I'm asking us is, do we love Jesus? And if yes, then are we devoted to him? Are we following him? Are we obeying him? As Jesus said, if you love me, you will obey me. If the answer is yes, then People should be able to evaluate our lives and simply see our devotion. As James says, man, I will show you my faith by my works. For example, how do you spend your time? Think about it. How do you spend your time with entertainment? TV, movies, social media, sports. And then compare that to how much time you spend in prayer. How much time you spend just soaking in God's word, not to puff up knowledge, but just simply because you love Jesus. If we spend 20 to 30 hours for sports and entertainment a week and only like 10 to 30 minutes a week with the Lord, can we really say that we're devoted to him? I'm going to imagine Stephanie and I at our wedding and we're exchanging the rings, and, and we're going through that whole process, the vows and everything. And you hear me say that I love you, and that from this day forward, it's, we belong together. I'm yours, you're mine. You would assume from that day forward that I would be devoted to her. But let's say then you found out, discovered, that I spend all my free time, that I give my heart to other women. Hanging out restaurants all the time. You would eventually, I hope, call into question my love for Stephanie based off what or who I'm devoted to. And this is true of anything or anyone. What someone says they love, we assume they'll be devoted to it. If not, we'll call into question their love for that person or for that thing. Why do we think it's any different with the Lord? Matter of fact, it's not. If you read all throughout the Old Testament... There's a reason that God always uses adultery as condemnation for the Israelites. Why? Because they were turning from God's, their love, and loving idols instead. And Jesus himself is very clear on it. 
Listen, the more I read scripture, I'm convinced that to believe in Jesus, to have faith in him, is to love him. And to love him is to be devoted to him. And you and I must decide. When Peter is in Jerusalem at Pentecost, and he's preaching the gospel to thousands, those 3,000 who signed up to get baptized, to give their life to Jesus that day, they were all in. They knew from this day forward, we may lose our houses, we may be driven out of the city, we may very well lose our lives, but we love Jesus. We give it all to him. Scripture is clear. We must decide who is our Lord. Who do we love? And it will cost us to love Jesus and to give everything to Jesus. But he who wants to save his life will lose it, but he who loses his life for Jesus will find it. But you and I can't have it both ways. We can't have two masters. The world will make you decide. God will make you decide. Now you're wondering, okay, Jonathan, what in the world does this have to do with Ephesians? Because Paul, who's an apostle, it's a term that's a special term used for somebody who is a a direct messenger from the Lord, sent to declare a very special word in essence. So in other words, as an apostle declaring this word, it's as though it was divine itself. He's a messenger, an apostle by the will of God, and he's writing to who? To the faithful ones. It's a word that means those who are loyal to Jesus. Those who trust in Jesus. That's an interesting translation, how it's come to be known as the faithful ones, because it's the word that we get believe in Scripture from. But remember, it's as John said in John chapter 1, those who received him, those who believed in him, he gave the right to become children of God. He's writing to the faithful ones. And as we see in his concluding remarks, his farewell remarks, he's also writing to those who are not just the faithful ones, but also those who love him. And they, those who are the faithful ones, those who love Jesus, those in Christ, they are the ones in which God gives grace and peace to So the final question is very simple. Is Jesus your one? Are you a faithful one? Are you loyal to him? Do you believe in him? Have you received him? Are you obeying him? Are you one who loves him? I find it interesting that when you get to the book of Revelation... The first church that's addressed is the church in Ephesus. And Jesus' complaint against them is that they what? Have lost their love. The love that they had for him at the very beginning. And so I'm convinced there's a lot of opinions out there. But we don't need another opinion. We don't need more catchy statements. We don't need more political agendas or strategies. We just need to repent of our idols and love Jesus. Returning our hearts to him. Returning our time to him. Returning our gifts to him. 
We're turning our devotion back to Jesus. Are you a faithful one? Are you one who loves Jesus? If Paul were to write a letter to this church and address it to the faithful ones in Christ, to those who love the Lord, would you be a member of those recipients? As John and the praise team come forward and we enter a time of invitation, it's a question we have to allow Jesus to present to us intimately, personally. Do you love me? And for some of us, he has to ask that three times, I think. Do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? Are you faithful to me? Loyal to me? Because there's going to come a lot of hard times in life. And you may very well lose your life for the sake of Jesus. But do you love him? For those who do, grace and peace to you. And you have a hope, something in store that's far beyond our understanding and imagination for those who love him. So with heads bowed, eyes closed, allow God in this moment of invitation and response to evaluate your life. You say you love him, you say you believe in him, but are you devoted to him? Look at your time. When was the last time you just prayed, sat in the presence of the Lord for hours? And compare that, when was the last time you sat in front of the TV for hours? Do you love him? Or are you devoted to him? If not, it's time we return back to that love we had at the beginning for him. It's time we lay down idols. It's time we turn from our sin and come to him. Father, we come to you. Father, things are hard right now in the culture and the world. It's a challenge to remain faithful to you. So many things pulling us in a variety of directions. But Lord, we thank you that even though we might have denied you three times, that there on a distant shore, you're ready to welcome us back in grace and peace. But we have to decide, do we truly love you? Are we now ready to follow you no matter what, no matter where, to do whatever? To your glory and praise. Lord, help us to be the faithful ones, those who love you. Lord, turn our hearts and minds back to you. Break us, change us, transform us. Renew our hearts and minds. Be present in and through your spirit in this place right now. In Jesus' name that I pray.
I'm going to ask that you guys stand with us as we have this time of invitation. I'm going to be standing right down here. If you want to come pray, talk about something, about salvation, anything, you just want prayer, just come down as we sing this song. I hear.